Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, all Happiness is Eggshape listeners and watchers. This is the Happiness is Podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, brought to you in association with Infinity Blue. They can look after you whether it is a checkup, teeth whitening, or a more complicated procedure. Give them a call, get in touch, and they will look after you to make sure that you keep that smile intact. Because after all, they know, we know, I know, you know, happiness is egg-shaped. Welcome to the Happinesses podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped. And today I'm joined with an old friend, or even though he's not that old, uh, he's journeyed far and wide. I've absolutely loved watching what he's got up to, where he's got up to, and who he's got up to it with. This is a unique story and one that I've been very, very keen to hear about and to help tell. So let's not waste any time and bring in the one and the only, the more handsome than ever man, Andy Cramond. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's good to see you. And you're you're back in Scotland. You've been away for a bit. I have indeed. I've after nine years stint in France, I've returned to the best city in the world, Edinburgh. <laughs> the best city in the world, Edinburgh. Now you left the best city in the world, and it sounds like if you believe some of the stories that we've heard, it sounds like yeah. it was all by chance, and you didn't really think that it was a true story. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, quite right. Yeah, back to well, it was during the twenties. I suppose it was actually my first year of 20s when I went out to France for the 20th, 2013 World Cup and 
I got a text message from a random number um, saying it's an agent. What are you up to next year? And I just presumed it was a joke from my from a roommate, Adam Ash. <laughs> so I just ignored it. And then I actually I actually got injured and then I had to go home early. So then only once I got back to Scotland, I actually Googled the number and it was associated to the to the to the um, the agent that he claimed to be. So I texted him back, but then that was too late. <laughs> he didn't want to speak to me as I was injured goods, damaged goods. And then the following year, um, yeah, just again, I, you know, no expectation of becoming a professional rugby player and uh, performed, I suppose, well, well enough during the 20s campaigns and then got picked up and out to France. You're, you're a really humble guy. You say there was no expectation to becoming a professional player. You must have, at some point, been involved in Scottish age groups, thought this is maybe a gig I could get. Well, I suppose there was. So I was at uni up in Aberdeen uh, playing for grammar. Um, so I started my second year. That's, yeah, what, 2013-14 um, season, uni uni year. And then I got to Christmas time. And then so the 20 stuff was ramping up. And I did. So I, I did make the decision to leave uni, hoping that, yeah, if I if I do give it a good effort, I'll, I would I'll probably have a reasonable chance of me picking something up at Glasgow, Edinburgh, Glasgow. That was kind of the plan. Um, and then, yeah, well, there was a few opportunities in France arose at the same time and jumped upon one in particular. <laughs> so that's not really a route then that you would have guessed up because being in Scotland, you're thinking, I've got one or two options. I either go to Glasgow or I'm in Edinburgh. Yeah. So the competition, you know, because... Scottish rugby yeah. is a village. You know that there's that number of second rows. You know there's that guy in the age group above you and those guys that are already signed. Yeah. So was that part of the modesty, I suppose, about it? Um, I don't think so. I think just when, so as I say, this agent sort of contacted me during the Six Nations of 2014, um, saying there was, I think there was four or five French clubs interested. I think I, because uh, Snoops was our our backs coach under 20 so i'm not sure if what sort of timings were but there was probably there must have been a bit of chat about glasgow and there potentially been an offer from glasgow and then the the french clubs the french teams came out and then one of them was toulon so talking of talking of players around in position second rows up and down well backies both and ali williams over there so <laughs> so i couldn't pick i couldn't have actually chosen any harder competition i suppose um but no, it was obviously the opportunity to go and learn from those guys. They were in the last couple of years of their careers and I was hoping to go out and, and learn as much as I could from them. All right, so you, you've you jumped in there and I, I, need to, I need to go with that. So yeah. somebody says, right, there's a gig at Toulon. Yeah. You're, a, you're a lock. You're looking at it going, back East Bota. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. And Ali Williams, one of the one of the best some people would look at that and go, I'm not going because I won't get a game. Yeah. You yeah, I don't think so I, get, I get to learn. Well, I suppose actually, again, it comes back to maybe being too humble or I don't know, not, I don't know what the, but it was a, probably a case of, I didn't really, I wasn't really expecting to, to make it. So it was just a case of, oh, I'll go out, have a bit of a jolly at Toulon. And then uh, if it doesn't work out, at least I do remember that. I signed a two-year contract and I remember thinking, you know, if it doesn't work out, at least I'll learn French and I'll have some new friends and I'll, I'll come back to Edinburgh and finish off my studies. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I mean, it worked out. It worked out all right in the end. Well, if if we were sitting here now, and the story was, oh, Toulon offered, but I went somewhere else, yeah. you would always wonder. Exactly. Hang on, exactly. I could have signed with Toulon. Like, well, one hundred percent. And that's I remember all my my like school friends. Again, you know, left school, sort of no, never expecting to become a professional rugby player. And then, so when I did go out there and sort of and do it, um, yeah, I enrolled with boys from school, all football school, Royal Height. Well, yeah, traditionally rugby, but when I was there, it was we struggled for a team. Uh, all the football, I think, like, God, Andy's playing for Real Madrid of rugby. <laughs> um, so exactly, imagine, imagine someone a footballer turned around and had a chance to Real Madrid and turned that down. Um, so no, you're quite right. <laughs> I think uh, if I hadn't done that, I would have, I would have regretted it. So, so here's Andy. You've never been we Andy Cramond, but you're walking in to Toulon as Andy yeah. Cramond, Scotland under twenty international, ex Aberdeen Grammar Royal High, <laughs> to sit down next to Ali Williams and Backy's Bota and the queue yeah. of other household names. Yeah, yeah. Do you go in shoulders back, chest out? Hi, I'm Andy Cramond, or do you wait to be spoken to? How does that? work because if you'd walked into yeah. Murrayfield or Scotston you would have known yeah you know some of the guys at least half of the people that were there. Yeah. Um well yeah I think my first my first morning there I think I what, what, there was a there was a lady who used to drive the bus around for the, the academy guys. So she came and picked me up in the morning, took me down to training centre and I walked in and yeah I think it was I think it was Ali Williams, Chris Masui and Carl Heyman was having were having breakfast at a table. So I, did, I actually, well, I think I did just pull up a, or they probably invited me to join them. Um, oh, I'm sure they did. Um, so, no, I never felt too sort of intimidated, actually, to be honest. And then I would sometimes look at some of the other academy guys and be like, like frustrated with them, not actually, like being really sort of timid and sort of not speaking. And there were certain times when also <laughs> often sort of considered, you know, I would always get, if I, buggered up in training I'd get shouted at by the escape we're moving on from day one but it was if the senior guys would shout at me if I fucked up in training whereas and I was I would always play the sort of situation in my head whereas what would happen if I shouted at them for fucking up <laughs> and there was what there was there was one time in particular when it was Juan Fernandez lobby so yeah Argentinian line-out coach um I remember he I must have missed a lift on him in a pre-season game against Stade Francais and then, you know, obviously bollocked me. Um, and then, like, the line-out after, I'd read the line-out against... I was going to go up and steal it from Parisi, and he never fucking lifted me. <laughs> so then I'm not sure if he was just getting me back. But, um, yeah, I, I felt... Well, obviously, I didn't say anything to him, but I was like, I'm thinking back, I was like, I should have fucking gone through him. But <laughs> that was my time to shine, and you took it from me. I, I love, I love that you. I was going to take it off Parisi, but Fernandez lobby didn't lift me. You could just throw these names around, but um, like, is that intimidating, or were you just they're my teammates? That's who I'm playing. It's just like it was in that game I played at Grammar. You know, yeah. at Law. Is that just how it was? Yeah, I think I was. 
no, I obviously was sort of intimidating and you'd be nervous. And my first game was in, I got called up actually quite early. I think it was September or so in my first first season. I actually got, you know, I never was expect again, I was never expecting to play for the first team. I thought that I'm getting a chance to train with them, do pre-season with them, but I'll go and play for the academy. And then I think it was maybe mid-September, however many games there were in the season, I got called up to play. And then I remember that, got on for the last sort of 10 minutes and, but, and obviously don't fuck up, don't fuck up. And then, I'm, I, yeah, as soon as you make the first tackle, like obviously you just feel it's just a rugby match. You just, you're in the game. Um, obviously, you're surrounded by a lot of talent, which which helps and sort of direct you, keep you keep you in the right place. Um, but, no, I mean, yeah, as I say, I've never really felt out of place, thankfully. And I think, well, I put in some decent performances when I played, when I got my chances with the first team as well, which, which helped. I'm always intrigued when I speak to foreigners that played in France because there's this French thing of yeah. you, you play really well at home and you win at home but for some reason yeah. when you go away it, it it just it just doesn't happen yeah. how does that play out as as a you know does that something you spoke about did you and Chris Masoy and Carl Heyman and Ali Williams have a chat about it over breakfast and say, how do we get these boys to realise we can win away from home? Or do you just become part of that culture? I think you do. Kind of, I mean, say, looking, not that, no, not that it's ever been discussed, but I suppose me just kind of thinking from their point of view would be that they're used to playing Super Rugby and playing 15 games a year or whatever. And when they come to Europe and they've got 36 games to play, um, I suppose they actually, I suppose some of them, I mean, again, depending on those guys at the end of their careers, like they kind of welcome a week off when your team's going away to wrestling. So I think, I know exactly, and I always thought, oh God, how, why, why is it any different for someone, you know, playing home and away? It's just a game of rugby on a rugby pitch and yeah, the crowd get up at you and okay, that kind of helps. But also that can help motivate like an away team. You know, if the crowd's flying, that helps, that whole atmosphere works both ways. Um, I suppose, I suppose, yeah, as I will go down my career, I guess those weeks off actually were kind of a way it was to rotate the squad and just keep the first team fresh. And I mean, if you can win all your home games, that's you're going to be in a pretty good position at the end of the season. So if you can win, if you can win those 15 home games, or what, 13 home games, um, and you can pick up the odds, maybe half of the way, if you can pick up half of your away games, then you're going to be top of the table. Like. So I suppose it is just a tactical way of rotating the squad and then really going after the games that are winnable. Because, I've only ever yeah, been to one so game in France and it was Perpignan at home and the, yeah. there was no music after the tries, there was no pre-game yeah. entertainment, there was no it was just an electric atmosphere. It was yeah, yeah. like I'd never been up before. I don't know how many people were there, 15, 18,000 so it wasn't yeah, a huge yeah. stadium but it felt like 60,000 in a Turkish football stadium. I mean, it was yeah, and it was relentless. Yeah, it, it what what was that like? How did you feel playing and you know playing at home? You have that behind you. Is that yeah. motivational? Is it intimidating? Is it I can't make a mistake? Did you relish it? How did it feel play? Because crowds in this country, no matter how hard we try, are never going to be yeah. like that. No, no. Yeah, I think in France, it's. 
I think the the passion for the teams comes from because it very much is like a the teams of apart from Paris teams okay Toulouse but I mean you still get that same atmosphere at Toulouse um, it very much is like the team of the village so it's like cast and it really is and there's lots like spoken about sort of defending the defending the colours of the town and everybody buying into that and so I suppose that passion then from like places like cast and Oyanax and not so much Perpignan because it is a probably a bit of a nicer place to live but there's not an awful lot going on in those towns so like they're really buying the rugby if the rugby team are doing well like cast obviously they've they've performed amazing and probably one of the best most consistent teams in the last 10 years um like but yeah as i say there's not much else for the supporters to get into so they really buy into that and um what that does on the pitch for for myself um I, yeah, I used, to, well, I used to love it. As as I sort of alluded to before, I don't think it was necessarily more of a uh, advantage for the home. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say so. Like I enjoyed going away and the fans going mental. It was just cool to be part of. Um, there's that my, um, my debut at Breve. I was on the bench with Dylan Armitage, and I remember that we were in the in the in the warm up area on the dead ball, and he was just getting pelted from the fans. I don't suppose I was ever I was ever too um I wasn't ever the target of the opposing fans. I don't suppose I got anything too personal. <laughs> but then and like how- that's the type of person he 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 would absolutely relish off that. You know, he loves that. That's what he's playing for. Like, he wants that. So I don't know. My my only Dale on Armitage story was when I was at Murrayfield for Scotland, England. And he yeah. started teasing that Scotland had never even been in England's 22. And at that, Ben White scored for Scotland. Yeah. And he just went from being this cocky to having to shut up and take the, take the stick. But yeah. Uh, yeah. it was it was class. And those guys, you know, you were still a pup for a lot of that. Yeah. I, yeah. I know Stefan Armitage became somebody you got really close to. Yeah. Do, do you find that? the values of those guys at the top of their game are the same as the guys he played with in club rugby in Scotland? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's sort of, it surprised me to, I mean, when I first turned up at Toulon, we were training out of Porter Cabins. <laughs> you know, you have, I think we had, in that year, I think there was, you know, you get these like highest paid player lists up here. I think we had six of the top 10 at Toulon. And we're changing in porter cabins. The physio was in the porter cabin. <laughs> so actually, the facilities at Aberdeen Grammar were better than Toulon. <laughs> um, so then, with that, the like comes the sort of yeah, the just normal blokes and go out and have beers. Yeah, there was plenty of beers had across my career. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. I I think that's that's a big part of sort of binding. Finding teams together, obviously team building and getting to know each other is the is the beers. And how did your French develop? Was that something that you being immersed in it, it, it came very quickly, or did the the international players stick together and and enjoy speaking in English? Yeah, well, I mean, naturally, yeah, naturally, the sort of English speaking players would um, would yeah group together. It just it was just easier. Um, at Toulon, because there were so many English-speaking guys, the team manager, there was a team manager called Tom Whitford, who's now with Montpellier, um, he would translate everything. So there would be like video sessions. You'd have 
Bernard Laporte sort of doing his spiel, and then Tom would just Tom would just instantly translate it because there was probably half the squad was probably English speaking. So that so from a sort of three years at Toulon, we mostly training with the first team, and with Tom translating everything, that kind of did affect my French. Um, I was still kind of kind of conversational, um, especially with a few beers down there. I could have a I could have a chin wag with the boys. Um, and then French, obviously, and then rugby French, so rugby jargon came, that, that was all right. Um, then when I moved to Vannes, after I left Toulon, I went up to Vannes um, in the second division, and there I sort of took a bit more of a, uh, well, what was that, 24 or so, but I sort of started running the line outs and a bit more of a senior player position, and then so I was communicating more with the boys and um the coach, uh, the head coach, was French. So then I was had more of a relationship with him. Um, so my French sort of probably improved a lot. And then sort of after that first year after the van. Um, how how yeah, are you viewed when you go when you move like that from Toulon to Van? How how are you viewed? Is it you're coming from that club? You've got lots to offer us. Is are people? got a target on your back and people are trying to knock you over because you've, you've come from the big time. How did that play out? Um, no, I, I think in France it's really quite common um, for the young guys to come out of the top, these top teams, top academy programmes and common to drop down into that second division to get a bit of experience. Um, it's only now, well, it's now obviously the French youth players are all that in the 20s programme been producing some serious players in the last few years. But even in the, I think what kind of the catalyst to that was, like when I was playing, Josh Tuasova was playing, was playing Espoir rugby. And like he would get the odd game with the first team. That he would be, how old was he? He was a year older than me, 20, 21. But you're an Espoir player until you're 23. And there, there's some sort of thing if you're an Espoir player, like, you're not really trusted or you're not really given a chance. So like, even though he would come on and score two tries, he would only get to play, and I think his first two years, he only played five or six games a season before they really trust before they really trusted him. So there was a real thing about giving young guys um, game time. There'd, guy, there'd be guys get through to the age of 24 as Espoir and then sort of never really played a first team game. Um, whereas now they've obviously been sort of there has been more young and that's with the talent obviously when the opportunity comes um, they've given a bit more game time in the first teams which then obviously helps them develop quicker and faster and then by the time they play on the 20s they've played 20 top 14 games that's it's not there's no secret bloody recipe <laughs> hmm. um, but what was the actual question <laughs> 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 when you go when you go when you go Rambled to van along. so you've you've come down yeah. you've come down a yeah, level yeah, but so. straight away you're then running the line out you've got a relationship with the coach yeah. you're given much yeah. more responsibility you were ready for it i suppose having learned yeah, from I think some of the so. best i think so. so yeah so i mean i learned a lot while i was playing and then did well, I was playing academy so every week and then the odd occasion i got with the first team i did I, I played well and it was um i sort of took my chance but again you just those chances didn't come sort of uh, or they came far and few between. Um, and then, so when I when I did drop down that level, um, you know, obviously a bit of a lower level in the second division, um, I first turned up, I wasn't instantly into the line-out role, but then I, so the guy that was running the line-outs, I sort of felt as if I could do a better job probably. So I had that discussion with the coach and then so it was, yeah, entrusted with it, which then helped 
of my confidence and my skills. Obviously, you need to be making these decisions aligning it's under pressure and in game game environments. Um, and at senior rugby, it's you know different different level to the academy stuff. So I think yeah, being entrusted with that role really did help. And then worth the game time. I think in that first year, I played yeah sort of. I think one of the most amount of minutes in the team, um, which then, again, there's no secret recipe. The more rugby you play, the better you get. Um, Hello, all Happiness is Egg-Shaped listeners and watchers. This is the Happiness is Podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, brought to you in association with Infinity Blue. They can look after you, whether it is a checkup, teeth whitening, or a more complicated procedure. Give them a call, get in touch, and they will look after you to make sure that you keep that smile intact because after all they know we know I know you know happiness is egg shaped How, when you yeah. drop down are you still that top 14 player you're just playing like, were you as fit playing in the second tier as you were in the top tier or did you feel like your performances were the same or is it just how it goes that Maybe there's a bit less. Yeah, yeah. Um, not well. Again, it comes down to the game time. I think. Yeah, I mean, I've game. I felt really fit. I actually had a, that preseason before I went to Van. Um, I don't. Know, I think I've spoken about this before, but I, I was supposed to go from Toulon to Pau. Well, I did go to Pau for the last six months of that of my three years at Toulon, and I was supposed to have a I was supposed to have a contract there. So all promised to me. Um, Whatever happened, that fell through with a week, a week or two before I was supposed to go back to preseason. So I actually did the pre- my preseason at Gloucester, um, and then that got yeah. So I was very when I turned up at the van in September, just after the start of the season, I was I was as fit as I've ever been. Um, and I sort of took that through that that first season, and I was yeah I was flying, and uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, it probably dropped off a little bit in the second, third season, just sort of. French culture comes back into probably too many beers, too many baguettes. Um, <laughs> and no, but I still, I was still managed, I was still performing really well. I mean, my whole career aesthetically, I wasn't, um, I wasn't the, the most pleasing on the eye, my love handles. But no, I was fit, fitness levels, like fitness level GPSs and things. Like I was always in pre season, I was always up, I was up, up at the top. Um, I just I was just pissed off the conditioning coaches that I didn't like the part. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's two stereotypes that we have of rugby in France, and and I'll give yeah. you them both, but I'll give you them one at a time. First one is especially in those lower tiers. There's this feeling that it's really dirty, it's really physical. There's lots of things yeah. going on. There's no place for for the weak or the soft that you're found out really quickly. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I suppose so. Um, I, th- I always remember, I think the Pro do is, for some reason, like, branded as the most physical league in, in the world. But, I mean, it's not. Look at this, the collisions in the top 14. And, well, never mind, yeah, even the URC and the Premier, the Premiership. Like, no, it's not. This, I don't know how they define that, most physical. I think it's probably the amount of time doing mauling and scrumming and which isn't real, isn't the real physicality. It's the it's the big contacts that you see with the top athletes. Um, the dirtiness, yeah, certainly when I first started at Van, uh, there was a few of the old school was still kicking about. Um, and there was one guy in particular, I can't actually, I don't actually know his name, but he played for Colomia. He was the number four for Colomia. 
and he had fair hair and a and a headband. And I remember once he got he got sent off for just going up to someone and just smacking him. And then I was getting tagged. So Colin were playing blue as well, so I was playing a van at the time. And then I was getting tagged all over Twitter by my friends being like, Andy, what the hell have you done? <laughs> <laughs> Thinking it was me, I just got up and smacked someone. I was like, uh, so I don't know. I wasn't sure which way to play it. Like to be like, oh yeah, I'm a tough guy. Or I just, <laughs> no, I denied it. I denied, I denied it was me. Um, but no, there was certainly that aspect of it. And then even the division below like Federal One or the teams that were around Toulon, particularly the teams of La Seine, and there was always, once a season at least, there was a video would come out of Les Seine and it was a fight was starting to pitch and then the sports were all involved. And But with cameras nowadays, like, you can't, even now cameras are now, all the games are filmed in the third, the third division. So I don't think not too much of that naughtiness happens anymore. Not anymore. The other one is, and you've kind of, maybe you've mentioned it there, is the... Decisions are made on the whim of an owner or a, so, right, you've lost, you're not getting paid tomorrow or, <laughs> you know, your contract, I've, I've ripped it up, you can go. Is, the, is that, surely that's an old-fashioned, outdated myth? Um, oh, potentially outdated <laughs> now, yeah. Um, but, well, I did have an experience, well, not personally, but I witnessed, uh, yeah, Toulon. Yeah, I think that's a lot of famous stories coming out of Toulon with all the, the owner having a half. Um but yeah, what Joanne Smith, um there was once we turned up for training in the morning, like on payday or the day after payday, and he'd only he'd only received half his half his wage. So he just said to the forwards coach he just got up the forwards coach didn't speak any English and Juan didn't speak any French. So he just got up shouting to the room saying, Right, I'm off. I've only been paid half my half my salary. So uh, and the forwards coach kinda of laughing, going, Where where's Juan going? Where's Juan going? And uh, we were like, "Oh, he's he's going home. He's he's not been paid." So then the the, the coach Jack went through to Murad's and uh, once he told him what was happening, and then we had an afternoon session, and Joan was back in the afternoon. He'd been paid. <laughs> <laughs> Which then, yes, again, I sort of you know after the fact would be you know if that happened to me, if I'd only been paid half my wage and I got up and walked out the video, I wonder what would happen. <laughs> We've probably been told not to come back. <laughs> yeah, you were there in the afternoon. You were allowed to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what, um, one of my favourite stories about you being in France, and and I need to know if this is true because my jealousy level could hit an all-time high. You, right. you got to have a bit. Of, you got to have a bit of kick about in France, didn't you? You got to play a bit of football. Yeah. Against. Well, yeah. I, I know. I know where this is going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we played against the 1998 World Cup winning French team, including Zidane, Robert Pires. Uh, unfortunately, Barthez wasn't there. Right, so talk me through how Andy Cramming for Edinburgh gets to play against the World Cup winning 1998 French yeah. team featuring Zidane, Pires. How? How did that happen? Good chomp. Yeah. Um, that was, well, that was just, yeah, with. Well, being part of the real Madrid rugby, I suppose you get opportunities, don't you? Um, no, I think the year before, the year before that, they'd played Marseille and Canton had been playing for Marseille. And then it was part of our children's charity. The name escapes me. Um, but it was part of our yeah children's charity that they'd organise these games and uh, to raise money. And yeah, we've played against played against that team. 
I've ended. I've got a pair. I've got Zidane shorts in my cupboard somewhere. I managed to get a pair of shorts off him. We did. I did ask for a strip, but his strips have been donated to children's charity. So I thought I better let that. Better let that slide. You scored though, didn't you? I did. I did. Um, yeah, and I regret. I regret not having some mad celebration, some forward roll, and some Tim Cahill style. <laughs> the Archer. Um, but no, I did, yeah. There was, I think, I don't know if it was a corner or just a cross. Um, and then it was headed on, popped up in the air, and a wee volley into the bottom corner. Yeah, my only regret is it wasn't, it wasn't Bart. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's a goal. That would have been pretty cool if I said I scored it. But as a Man U fan. So how how many people were there? What stadium were you in? What like That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, very, very fortunate circumstances. Um, we it was just at my all at the at the home ground in Tuan. Uh, I don't know how many people, ten thousand or so. Um, it was in pre-season one year. So it must have just been, I think, on the Friday or something. So maybe the end of the week with a, yeah, we we run around, played half, played half football and then half touch. Um, yeah, we weren't allowed to tackle Zidane. <laughs> What what were they like at touch? Was there anybody you looked at and thought they've they they could cut this? No, not really. I don't think they didn't. I mean, yeah, obviously they've got the well, I suppose they're all and they well, they're all forty, forty five, however old fifty, they're all uh, um so the athleticism had maybe gone a little bit the passing, trying to pass the ball was a bit tough. Yeah. But um bit. Zidane, I think we did we did allow I think there's a good clip of like Dylan I think letting Zidane through to, to score a try under the posts. He got a he got a length of the length of the pitch try. <laughs> uh, you you would do that for Zidane. That's that's exactly quite cool. exactly. God can do what he wants. <laughs> yeah. So you're in that part of France. Yeah. You, you must have been thinking, like, well, you must have been pinching yourself at moments like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Go back to that. I think I've I've said this before. It's there's stories of uh, I think Montpellier was it when Jim Hamilton t- I think he tells it when he turned up and the the president looked at me and said who the fuck are you he th- thought he'd signed uh, Richie Gray <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you know Richie Gray was sort of playing really off Scotland at the time and he thought he was signing the big lock from second from from Scotland. Um, but yeah, I mean, a similar, yeah, sort of you felt as if, surely, didn't why, why have they signed me? Like, what, surely, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going to get found out soon enough. But, uh, no, no, I've, as I say, I'm, I'm bad for that. I mean, I did. I was good. Yeah, I played well enough. I was obviously, I earned my place there and um, I shouldn't put myself down so much. <laughs> so when you were 
you were playing in France, you playing well, feeling fit. What what was the ambition? Were you just dealing with the next job, or was there a there's what I would like to do? I want to I want to win that trophy. I want to go and play there. Yeah. International honours must have come into your head at some yeah. point. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, when I was playing, I mean, I played that first year at Van, and I, I think I made, I think I was in like team of the year, and then so kind of from then I was like, right, I need to get back to the top fourteen. Um, and then there was off. I mean, every year there's chat, and then also and I can't remember what orders they came in, but between Edinburgh and Glasgow, there was sort of each year there was some chat and something was going to happen and things didn't work out and couldn't come to an agreement and then yeah I kind of that as you say it was I either and then I mean going through all of this and what was part of decisions was sort of my head and I was I was sort of did struggle with concussions throughout my career um so I was always kind of aware that I wasn't going to be playing until I was 35 so when we look back at yeah, we look back to what we were saying before and saying I would have always regretted the, the opportunity of going. I would have always regretted not going to Tlon. I did what I did want to come back to to Edinburgh, Glasgow, and sort of give it give it a final shot of getting a Scotland cap, um, and sort of with the thought of being I don't want to stop and sort of look back and not giving it a go, not giving it my best shot. Um, and we were very yeah, we were pretty close to that happening. Um, whenever that was after COVID. But yeah, again, just sort of things things fizzled out, and then I ended up. I was being pressured by Beerus. I think I was having to wait for Edinburgh, and then I think I was being pushed by Beerus for an answer. So I ended up having to just sort of sign at Beerus. Um, and then the, so the goal in terms of my head, it was right once I get back to top fourteen, or if I play for Scotland, then I can I can kind of then probably retire in a bit of bit of peace. Um, so yeah, I managed to get up, back up to top fourteen, and then unfortunately, yeah, I played sort of five games that season, and then was sort of told to stop by the doctors. So we'll, we'll come back to that a bit. But how does it work? I'm always intrigued when players talk the way you've spoken about there. That we spoke to them, it didn't quite work. How how does it work? Are you speaking? Is your agent speaking on your behalf? Are you going together? Is it done? You know, at that time, I'm imagining. Zoom and phone calls and yeah. emails. How, how does it actually work to somebody like me that's never been involved in it and people that are yeah. listening or watching? Uh, what is that process? Um, yeah, I mean, it's done through the agents. Um, the, so I, my agent was Jamie Noon uh, throughout so most of my career, ex-England player. And yeah, most of the chats are done through him. You, the odd time you'd get, if you had a relationship with coaches, you would get sort of a personal phone call. That happened a couple of times from guys I played. Well, when I went to Paul, it was Carl Heyman that gave me a call just directly. Um, and Or there would be kind of workarounds where, I forget his name, Richard Cockrell's right-hand man, um, whatever his name was. Um, he, he was good mates with one of the guys I was playing with at Van. So he was obviously able to speak to Dan about me and, get some references and then there was a bit of chat through that but then ultimately it does then come back to the agent and it's up to him to then negotiate sort of on my behalf and lay out the options I've got and then and then ultimately it is my decision to sort of which way which way go if if these all all these options are still on on the table um as I say it sort of came down Edinburgh asked me to wait a little bit longer um but I needed to sort of sort myself out 
um, I had to give an answer to the roots. So unfortunately, yeah, that never never quite happened. You, you do it because you loved it. Did it feel like a job at, at points where you thought, I, you know, where's my next wage coming from? Or were you just still riding a bit of a wave? Yeah, obviously, oh, very fortunate to be playing rugby for, for a living. Um, but by the end, yeah, with my, well, with my head as a consideration as well, and sort of what that looks like going forwards, um, that came into and yeah okay I was getting paid I was getting paid well to do something that I, I love doing I would be doing anyway but then with with the concussion stuff it was ultimately just well it doesn't really matter about the money it's I just need to look after my my health and that was the final decision which made me stop is I need to look yeah I need to look forward and for the rest of my life it's only a small part of my life this this 10 year period um I was I was enjoying it. Yeah, I was enjoying it, but as I say, I think so my last game was against Leon in the top 14. And I remember going into that game not really wanting to be there. Because I already knew that I was I was one game away from the, the doctor told me if I have one more, like he would call it. So I suppose it's always that when you're trying to avoid an injury, you're never you're never fully committed and that's when you're most likely to get injured. So I suppose by the end, like in training, if we'd ever be doing sort of contact drills, I was just I was not interested. I wasn't going to put my head in something, risk getting my last one in training, and then, and then that ultimately sort of yeah transferred into games. And I wasn't. I probably wasn't as fully committed um, as I should have been, and I could have been. Um, and yeah, well, called it a day. What was what was I was forced to call it a day, but I did agree with that decision. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what that's like having to make that decision. Is that did you speak to five or six people that are close to you and, and they all said, yeah, or were you just clear in your own mind, this is me, it's my decision, it's my life, it's my career, yeah. I'm going to make this call? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, as I said before, so I knew I was never going to be playing to 35. I knew it was a matter of time. Um, and yeah, I mean, that it was tough in that last game I think the game before we had played Toulouse and the week before and there was a couple of times and I was thinking right should I have I have I had an knock there should I go off um I didn't kind of knowing that it was that would have been in my career and I kind of pushed that and then as I say this next this following week against Leon turning up in the game I remember opening the door to walk into the tunnel and I just remember kind of thinking like I don't want to be here so when after about 20 minutes I got Big Roman off of Wuna's head, head head on head. Um, I went down and I, the doctor came over and I just, yeah, I then was like, right, that's me. Walked off, obviously, there was a, a few tears in the changing room. Um, but yeah, ultimately it was kind of my decision. The, the doctors, yeah, we, it was a funny one because I kind of knew then, I'd already been told by the doctor, right, if you have one more, you're done. But then it was kind of a delayed process, which probably made things a bit harder. I had to like, you know, I had to go through quite a few sort of hoops and go through a few steps to then actually get officially sort of told that I was retired, that I was having to retire. Whereas I knew, I knew, kind of knew deep down, like I'd already kind of made that decision, I suppose. Um, and then I needed that, I needed a doctor to actually just say definitively, right, you do, you are stuck. Because then that just took all sort of doubt out of my head. There was, 
because there was a bit of a bit of chat to suggest, oh, there's a possibility you could, you know, go do some tests, and there's a possibility you could get back, um, which then kind of made, gave me a bit of hope for the angle of the wee carrot. But then I also, because I saw multiple doctors, so that one of them was giving me this wee carrot, and then at first I sort of jumped on that, and I was like, all right, maybe I can get back. And then ultimately, I think that actually was causing me sort of like I was becoming like like anxious about that, and like anxious about sort of going back out on the pitch and getting more head, getting more concussions, and so in the end, I just needed that sort of definitive answer to be like, right, you're done, time to move on. Um, which and then people say, do you miss rugby? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I miss well, I miss the times, I miss the coffees, and I miss the banter. And, um, but yeah, I, I know, I know, I don't, really, I don't, I know, I don't have an option about but to stop like, for the former future and for the health, and so yeah. I, don't know, I, I suppose there comes and, a point where if you're trying too hard to justify it, it well, yeah, it's you know, you know, right exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And just one, one final point on this: Is there have you had much chat to Carl Heyman around this topic? I know I've not actually. Um, I know I don't really know why I've not reached out to him. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of hoping I've stopped early enough compared to those guys of that sort of generation. Um, so yeah, that's probably another bit of fear that I don't really want to speak to those guys about at all. But yeah, I mean, I know I know their stories. I remember him sort of talking about I've seen the stuff that's going around. Um, so as I say, I just I think I have, and I'm, hopefully I've just stopped early enough. That, yeah. Don't need to go there. But you look back, I mean, I, I, I've watched from afar. I've known you for oh, not quite 10 years, Since maybe. I was but, at school. Well, no, I think, yeah, oh, probably. I think when you were at Murrayfield, I was playing at Royal, Royal High. You were coaching yeah. Murrayfield. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it is. So I've known you for a long time, and I always loved, as I said in the intro, I just loved watching it from afar and that feeling of you going out and doing something that was outside the norm of go through an academy, yeah. get a you know yeah. get a contract to earn some cat. I'd I loved that watching you away and then every now and then I'd get a you know there'd be a video of you or I'd see a picture of you doing yeah. something and uh, there was a massive amount of pride that you were doing that. Can you look back now with pride or is is it still too close? Are you gonna give yourself some time before you start saying, actually that was quite cool. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah, I do yeah, I don't need to remind myself. I do remind myself. I I know that I was very fortunate. So the path I went, it was different, and I know a lot of the guys that stay in Scottish rugby sort of probably look at me or look back at me and sort of say, "What well, uh, we maybe should have done that kind of." But then also, then what we've kind of alluded to, yeah, in hindsight, I don't know. I did, I did miss out on that cap. I'll look at some of the guys that have sort of played and. I might feel as if I could have I could have got a couple of caps at least. Um but then also yeah, remind myself again that I've had a, an amazing <laughs> amazing nine years in France and had experiences that nobody else had and a house down in Beeritz and yeah, I mean if if I'd gone to Glasgow well I remember that was one day, yeah, this kind of probably peaks it, this probably tops it all off. One day when I was out on a a yacht in Saint Tropez. We'd seen Ronaldo. We'd seen Ronaldo on the port, and they were out on the yacht going. To, and then I remember saying, I think I said to some of the boys, it was with some of the Aussie guys, and I remember saying, "I was like, you know, I could have been a boat in the Clyde here." <laughs> <laughs> I 
whereas <laughs> I'm on a yacht in the Mediterranean off Central Bay. So yeah, I suppose that probably sums up the, the decision quite well. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a few people will in that. Did your mate Ashy give you a shout to go and join him in LA? Was there ever the thought of sure. oh, I could do a bit in yeah. America or a bit in Japan or I could well, yeah, certainly, as I say, sort of when the head knock stuff sort of started coming into decisions at the end of my career, I did, I, I never really explored it. I'd spoken to one agent who was based out of Australia, that had a lot of players in Japan, and he said I would have no bother getting a contract, they're always looking for second rows. Um, and I did think that just sort of the contact was probably lesser in Japan, um, but we never quite got to that point, you know, I never got through my last contract, so. Maybe at the end, of, if I if I'd lasted the end of that contract, I might have tried to get out to to Japan, and I, and I would have loved to go to America, but yeah, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah, Ash, Ash, will have a few stories to tell you of, of no yeah, doubt. No, exactly. Um, exactly. Hello, all Happiness Egg Shape listeners and watchers. This is the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host Bruce Aitchison, brought to you in association with Infinity Blue. They can look after you whether it is a checkup, teeth whitening or a more complicated procedure. Give them a call, get in touch, and they will look after you to make sure that you keep that smile intact. Because after all, they know, we know, I know, you know, happiness is egg-shaped. When you, when you talk about you missing the coffees, missing, the thing I miss, and didn't give up for the reasons you get but when I stopped playing the thing I miss more never and I've, I've been a coach for a long time but you're never a player is the changing room and before yeah. you know I know clubs now have their social media guy in the corner taking videos of them yeah. and all that because the, but the changing room when there's no cameras no no it's just the, the the team the the coaches maybe the medical but it's a it's a closed environment it's just yours is how yeah, precious yeah. was that to you? No, yeah, that is special, and yeah, I suppose you kind of take it for granted. Yeah, when you while you're while you're in there. Uh, so looking back, you know, it is strange to sort of think that is uh, somewhere you'll you'll never be again. Um, so yeah, well, that's when I when I say the coffee, I, I kind of mean that. I kind of mean that whole just being with the boys, no matter if it's in the cafe or if it's in for a pre-match in a game or the celebrations after the game, which are yeah, amazing experiences that, as you say, nobody else can can say they've, they've experienced. Um, I'll miss it, but yeah, no, I'm not, not too, not too much. Oh, I can move on. If a, if a kid came to you, you're now back in Edinburgh, a young player comes to you and said, you know, you went away. What do, you, what do you think I should do? What sort of advice would you give somebody now, an 18, 19, 20-year-old who's, you know, maybe decided opportunities in Scotland are not going to offer themselves up to them? What sort of advice would you give a young player? Yeah. No, I certainly, certainly advise them to go away to a foreign country. And that doesn't have to be France. It's France or Italy or Japan or, or America. And it's... it's I mean, it's not New Zealand. Yeah, go to bloody New Zealand. That's not probably the best piece of advice, I'd say. And because at 20, you're still young. Like, although we're seeing guys breaking through at 18, 19 now, like 20, you're still bloody young. So if you can go to New Zealand and learn from the best and improve your rugby, then that's, I'd certainly do that. And it's and it's experiences outside of rugby. It's the, 
I mean, what's the All Blacks saying? It's a better, better man, better men make better All Blacks or something. So it's, it's yeah, certainly that piece of advice would be just go and try and grow as a person. And the advantage of going to French or France or Italy or Spain, yeah, is is learning that second language was a huge, huge life skill. Um, so I'd say no, I definitely recommend young guys getting away, getting learning, learning a new, different environment, different culture. You've, you've, we've mentioned you're humble, you, you're reasonably relaxed, you've, you've, sort of, you've played down a lot of these things that have happened. Was there points where you were really uncomfortable? Because you, you've taken yourself to an environment that you didn't know anything about. No. With people, although you'd seen on TV, I mean, even that brings its own you know, intimidation. It's a foreign country. It's a different language. You know, sometimes I, I go on holiday and I feel like I'm being taken advantage of because I don't understand what's going on. I mean, you were a, yeah. You were yeah, a yeah. kid. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just rolled with the punches and just bounced about and gone with it. Uh, not, I, I remember my first night in my flat, I got dropped off by Jamie. Uh, not by Jamie, it was my previous agent. Um, but I got dropped off and the flat was literally empty. There was no duvet or pillows or anything. <laughs> I remember I remember thinking, what the F am I doing here? Like, take me home. Didn't have any Wi-Fi, didn't have no friends. I was, that was probably, yeah, sort of my lowest. And then I just I moved on from there. Yeah, there was a few challenges throughout, peaks and troughs. Um, but no, I never really felt too too uncomfortable. And I think that's yeah, well, that's kind of just the way I, the way I am. Yeah, I like to go out and meet new people and talk to new people, and yeah, which is why I'm sort of doing what I'm doing now is you know what, just it's about just chatting to people and meeting new people. It, it cracks me up because you've you've had that. I've had nine years in France. I've done that. I've played football against Zidane, and now I'm back in Edinburgh. I'm a month married. I've got a new job. <laughs> You know, it it must feel like it was somebody else in a in a different a different, different world. Life. Well, yeah, it, well, exactly. I don't, that, well, that's it. Sometimes, if, you know, meeting someone today who doesn't know who I am, I say, "Oh, yeah, I was, what, what, what have you been doing before?" I was fresh rugby player. And, yeah, obviously, obviously. Oh, the, what, what was it? I was a had a wall decorator in, and he's sort of telling me, "It's oh, oh yeah, I know, so, I know." Uh, one of my mates' friends plays in. Uh, plays in France. I think he plays a pretty high level. And I could tell by the way he was talking to me, is like he just thought presumed I must have just played like a you know, whatever, just played a bit of in France. Yeah. And then he he did name the guy and then okay, I knew that was a pub league. And then <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't remember if I actually told oh, I don't think he would have known if I said I played for Toulon. He wouldn't have known what that meant. But yeah, there's certainly people that you know so, yeah you tell them and it's surprise, you know, very surprised with what I might have done before. <laughs> so you've been you've got that experience um, you've been a line-out leader. You've become an experienced player. I know that you're you're dabbling in coaching, but are you still a supporter? Do you still like watching the game? Would you be seen on the touchline watching an amateur game? Will you go and watch Scotland or Edinburgh and Glasgow? Yeah, no, certainly will. Um, no, I, well, yeah, coaching obviously watch, watching Naki's games. Um, I watch plans watch Scotland, Scotland games this Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, watch that. Scotland, Italy. Um, I've have I been down to Murrayfield? I don't think I've been to Murrayfield to watch a game yet. I think I did. I went to Murrayfield. I was on the pitch for the first time at the Eagles concert. Now that was quite a, that was quite tough. 
uh, I remember, well, I remember <laughs> being there, obviously unrelated to rugby, but then thinking, God, this is actually this is this is my time on the pitch. But I'm catching <laughs> <like> the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What were we saying? <laughs> yeah. Can you watch it as a supporter or are you picking apart the line yeah. out? Are you thinking, oh, I can see he's got yeah, a little no, tail there? Is, there is... Yeah, I did think of that. I, I was, I was I kind of going to mention that before. Something I do miss and is, yeah, is that sort of, I'll see, yeah, exactly, I'll see that and I, I, like, I want to take that. And I'm struggling that struggling with that in coaching is like trying to tell the guys to do something which which yeah i can see it's obvious but um from the side everything's easier from the sideline but i want to just go in and like just do it (laughs) i just want to go in and do it Uh, so i do struggle a bit with that and then i struggle yeah i miss i miss sort of the feeling of you know making a line break and and then here here in the crowd here in the 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 ten thousand raven place screaming your name When um, I watch as a coach, there are there are little bits of the line out, right? I've never jumped in a line out, never yeah, been in a line out. No. But when when a, when the throw goes in, I'll go up on my tiptoes as if yeah. that's helping the jumper get to the peak of the jump. Or just, do you do you have little moments in. like that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, because I mean, I can tell. If I know the way the ball's come out of his hands. I know if it's gonna sort of if it's gonna hit the jumper or not. So yeah, you can. <laughs> Well, there's a bit of a celebrity, or you can see where the defence is standing, and you go, "Oh, why have you called that?" <laughs> um, but no, I certainly, yeah, play it. Or you, yeah, you've got the sort of left and right. Someone's running around, and you're trying to dodge the defence for them. Um, no, I think that'll always, and I think that's with all white rugby. Even my dad, I would say, like, not that he's probably coached me at mini rugby, but um, I'd say he, him watching rugby, I think he'd still be doing that. <laughs> I think all rugby lovers are, are doing that to the TV. Throwing their slippers at the TV when England score. Uh, yeah, uh, that, yeah I, I know some people like that. When you when you reflect back, let's pick some names here. Who was a really good teammate? Not necessarily the best player, but who did you really love being teammate with? Um, there was a guy called uh, Beeritz. Yeah, probably unknown to you and your audience. Uh, a guy called Adam Knight, who was picked up by Beeritz from... He was serving the Otago, Otago, and the Highlanders Academy in New Zealand, and then he was, yeah, he was just a grafter. Loved his video analysis, so then helped me in the lineouts, and he'd come and speak to me in the lineouts, and having maybe seen something or come and ask questions if he needed a bit of help, um, and then just yeah, worked bloody hard and was a tough bugger. Um, he was probably one of one of the best teammates. Um, I know, this is, you start naming people and you forget people, it's not fair. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the older guys at Toulon that looked after me um, and gave me the experiences that I was able to, um, yeah, sort of Drew, Drew Mitchell and Stephen Armitage in particular, um, they're very generous to me, a little academy player that couldn't couldn't do what they were, they were doing day to day, but they would sort of take me along for the ride. Um, but yeah, that's even that's that's more of a sort of just a friend. That wasn't even so much teammate. Yeah. Um, uh, Who's who is the best storyteller? Who who did you listen to? What is going on here? Something's vibrating. Sorry. Um, best storyteller. 
me. <laughs> <laughs> like listening to yourself. I'm gonna I'm not gonna let you respond. I'm not gonna let you back that yeah. one up with else. Yeah. Who who's yeah. the funniest? Who who's your funniest teammate? Who did you love laughing at and being with? Oh for God's sake, this is tough. Um <laughs> No, I mean, there's loads of people that, yeah, and I'll just, I can't, I can't think of any of his names. Um, I probably got up to no good with a guy called George Stokes, who I played in the academy with at Toulon. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. Uh, he's now playing, he's actually well, like a Spanish, has he? No, he's not played international. He lives in Spain, Villa Valid. They just won, they won the double oh, yeah. in Spain this year. Um He's he's actually he is you know, George Stokes. He's English, but grew up in Spain. Um, played it. He was actually in the academy of Glasgow for a year, but uh, he was a funny bugger, and uh, yeah, had a lot of, had Good. a lot of fun together. Good, I like that. Right, last last one before I, I give you the one I, I told you about before. How can Scotland? How well can Scotland do in the World Cup? I think they can sit and, well, I mean, they've shown their past performance the past couple of years. They're really building and they're building to hopefully to a peak, but it is a bloody tough, tough pool that they find themselves in, isn't it? Um, as as usual, as ever. Um, but like, there's no reason why not. They've, they've obviously pushed the beat in England. They've beaten, they've pushed the All Blacks for a couple of years ago. They've, they've beaten all the top teams. Um, so why not on their day? They could certainly cause a few upsets. Okay, well done. That was that was good media training. I like that. Jeez, you sit on the fence there, my man. After all, after all that, that's that's what you're giving me. Yeah, they'll be all right. Okay, right. So thank you. I've I've loved it. It's been brilliant to see you. It's good to see you looking so fit. Although you're one of those annoying buggers that's given up. I was hoping you were going to balloon, but you've actually got even fitter since you stopped playing rugby. Um. So for you, Andy, happiness is. Um freedom of time like yeah do i mean do what you want with your time and spend it with who, who you want to spend your time with geez you've got wise in your old age <laughs> i like i like that i'm going to use that one andy i've absolutely loved it uh enbrakis are really lucky to to have you there imparting a, a bit of your knowledge and experience and i'm sure the players will benefit from it and hopefully i'll see you very soon yeah no set at all maybe get a beer up down one day <laughs> nice i like the sound of that we've done that once before but that's a story for another day <laughs> yeah. Thank you man good to see you all right cheers bruce enjoyed absolutely loved that what a top top man so many stories to tell uh unique and definitely worth a listen so if you've enjoyed it you can catch us on apple acast and spotify you can watch on facebook and youtube tell your friends leave us a review we're back as you can see the backdrop has changed, the location has changed, but it's still the same nonsense. And unfortunately, I've not got any fitter, but we're working on it. I look forward to seeing you all again very, very soon with some more guests. But in the meantime, my name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast, and my happiness is actually. Hello all Happiness Egg Shape listeners and watchers, this is the Happiness Is podcast with me your host Bruce Aitchison, brought to you in association with Infinity Blue. They can look after you whether it is a checkup, teeth whitening or a more complicated procedure. Give them a call, get in touch and they will look after you to make sure that you keep that smile intact because after all, they know 
We know, I know, you know, happiness is egg-shaped. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.